The reading of God's Word today comes from Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. Would you stand out of reverence for God's Word? This is the most important thing you will hear this week. This is the living God speaking to you, His living and active Word. Please pay careful attention to it. Again, beginning in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. All flesh is grass, and its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, and holding fast to Him. For He is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them. Uh, Perhaps you recognize these words. They come from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 through 20. This is the conclusion of a very lengthy section where God gives blessings and curses, Deuteronomy 27 through 30. As they're about to leave the wilderness, Moses prepares the people of Israel to enter into the land. And the Lord commanded Israel that when they crossed the Jordan into the land, they were to stand atop two mountains. The people of Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin were to stand atop Mount Gerizim and pronounce the blessings which would come to them if they were faithful to God, believing in Him, and faithful to His covenant. Whereas the other people, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zubalon, Dan, and Naphtali, were to stand atop Mount Ebel and pronounce the curses which would come on them if they were not faithful to God, if they lacked their trust in Him, and were faithful to his commandment. As we know from the narrative of Scripture, by and large, the people of Israel were not faithful to God and his covenant, but they worshipped false gods and were not faithful to his commands. Yet this language of blessing and curse, it's not exclusive to the people of Israel. Rather, this language goes all the way back into the Garden of Eden, and it extends to all mankind, to us even. 
In Genesis 1, when God created mankind in his image and likeness, what do we read in verse 28? That God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Yet despite this benediction and blessing of God, we learn very quickly that mankind did not continue in that blessed estate. Rather, they sinned against the Lord in eating the forbidden fruit. Because of this wicked act, the serpent, the man, and the woman get what as a result? A pronouncement of curses on them for their disobedience. Because of their disobedience, the first man, Adam, brought all of mankind under God's curse. In his infinite mercy, though, the curse is not the final word to all mankind. But even in his cursing, the Lord offered his blessing. In cursing the serpent and the woman, the Lord promises a seed of blessing. One who will come from the woman and who will crush the head of the serpent. This seed is the hope of life to all mankind. In our passage of Galatians today, Paul is picking up on this language of blessing and cursing and is thus picking up on the narrative of creation, fall, and redemption. In doing so, Paul does talk to us about the curse of the law, but also of the blessing of God in Christ Jesus He gives us his Holy Spirit promised to Abraham, who is received by faith. In this passage of Scripture, we will see that the banner of God's curse, which hangs over us in Adam, and through our own failure to keep the law, gives way to the benediction of God's blessing through Christ Jesus and the reception of God's Spirit by faith. To come to this conclusion, we're going to consider two simple points today. We're going to look at the curse of the law, verses 10 through 12, and we're going to look at the cross of Christ, verses 13 through 14. Curse and cross. Let's begin with that first point. The curse of the law. So far in Galatians 3, Paul has been combating the teaching of the false teachers at Galatia. These were teaching that in order to be true sons and daughters of Abraham, fully incorporated into the people of God and identified with them, it was necessary to be circumcised and to submit oneself under the law. Paul has rejected this false teaching and has argued that the true sons and daughters of God are those who share the family trait, and that is those who have faith in the Lord and his promises to his people. That is what makes one a son or daughter of God. Through the coming of Christ, this is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, that all the nations would be blessed through Father Abraham. That's so far what he's argued in chapter 3. Now Paul begins to explain the meaning of the law and its relationship to the promise given to Abraham. This is such an important point in Galatians that we're going to spend a few weeks on it. But here, we begin by considering the concepts in themselves of blessing and cursing. 
which are central to God's covenant dealing with humanity. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, Paul has already explained that the blessing of God promised to Abraham, which included justification, a right standing before God, and the reception of God's Holy Spirit, comes through faith to all those who believe, whether Jew or Gentile. Those who share the faith of Father Abraham are sons and daughters of Abraham. But now Paul transitions into talking about the converse of blessing. And that is cursing. So in verse 9 he states, So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then he immediately transitions and adds in verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Here, Paul is making a clear-cut contrast, which at times can be obscured by our translations. Paul is saying that there are two clear and separate people groups. There are those who are of faith, and there are those who are of works. Those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith, and those who are of works are cursed with Father Adam. Those are the two states. In making this distinction, Paul is saying that there are two fundamentally opposed approaches toward having one standing before God. There are those who have come to an end of themselves and who rely only and always on faith in the God who is faithful and who has made covenant promises to them. Yet there are others who rely only and ever on their works and their obedience for a right standing before God. Paul is saying that it is only those who have faith and rely completely on that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's those who are blessed and those who are looking to their own fleshly efforts for a right standing before God. You're under a curse. To substantiate his point... Paul quotes from the law itself. He quotes from Deuteronomy 27, 26, saying this, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. In drawing on this portion of the law, Paul is making a very specific contrast which pertains to how we view the law of God. Those who are of faith in God's promise do not view the law as a means to make ourselves right with the Lord. No, rather, we have faith in the Lord, we believe His promise, His covenant promise to us, and then, out of gratitude, we seek to be conformed to the image of Christ and be obedient to His law, but always we're relying on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But those who are of works, who see their obedience to the law as the means by which they obtain a right standing before God, they're viewing the law wrongly in a way that God never intended. Later, Paul will explain at length why the law was added to the promise. And we're going to have a whole sermon on why then the law. But here, Paul wants to explain this wrong attitude to the law up front. You see, there's a great difference between viewing obedience to God's law as an act of gratitude 
to God, to the God who saved us by his grace through faith, and viewing the obedience to the law as a means by which you are saved. To those who are relying on works of the law for their salvation, Paul emphasizes the ultimate demand of the law. To be justified, to have a right standing before God, which these false teachers are saying they can have through circumcision and through obedience to the law, Paul tells them that you must be obedient to the entirety of the law. In other words, what Paul is saying here, it's very similar to Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount and to the rich young ruler. You remember, he says, if you want to receive life through the law, you must be obedient to the entirety of the law. The point of Paul and of Jesus is that no fallen human being is capable of keeping and obeying the entirety of God's law in thoughts, words, and deeds. Thus, those who are relying on works of the law for their standing before God are placing themselves under the curse of God because we can never be fully obedient to his law. In keeping with this logic, Paul goes on to say in verse 11, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Paul takes it as a clear and evident principle that no one is justified before God by works of the law. For in our fallen condition of sin and misery, there's not one of us here who can perfectly keep God's law in our thoughts, words, and deeds. To support this principle from the Old Testament itself, Paul quotes again from the prophets, Habakkuk 2.4, saying, The righteous shall live by faith. In context, the prophet Habakkuk is writing to Judah, who has been unfaithful to the Lord's covenant and have failed to obey the law. As a result, the Lord is punishing Judah through the nation of Babylon, and he's sending them against him. Habakkuk complains on behalf of the people that, Lord, we're wicked, yes, but you're punishing us with a people who are more wicked than we are. And the Lord responds to Habakkuk's complaint. And the Lord says that it's not through one's own righteousness or keeping of the law that one will be saved in this terrible disaster. Rather, he says that the righteous are those who have faith in the Lord and it is these who live by faith. It's from this perspective that Paul contrasts faith and law-keeping as instruments for obtaining righteousness. So in verse 12, he states, But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Here again, Paul is quoting from the law to support his argument. It's actually the portion of Scripture that we uh, spoke earlier in our confession of sin, Leviticus 18.5. This is where he says, the one who does them shall live by them. Taken in itself, the law was never given to Israel as a means of gaining a right standing before God through their obedience to it. Rather, the law was given to God's people who were already saved by grace and were to seek to be obedient to the law out of gratitude. And when they failed to keep the law, The Lord didn't beat down on their heads. He made a way for atonement through the sacrificial system. 
Yet when they sought to establish their own righteousness through obedience to the law, they reversed this system. The only result that can happen from this is they place themselves under the curse of the law, for no one can keep it fully and finally. This is the situation which was taking place in Galatia. The Galatians, through faith in God's promise, were already declared as righteous before God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was evidenced to them by their reception of the Holy Spirit. Yet the false teachers at Galatia were teaching that faith was not enough. That Christ was not sufficient. That something more was needed and needed to be added to be righteous before God. And that was being circumcised and placing oneself under the law. Which Paul is telling them that this is all wrong and it can only result in you placing yourself under the curse of the law. For they cannot fulfill it. While we're not in the same redemptive historical situation of Israel or even these early Gentile believers, we face the same pressures today. The world, the flesh, and the devil always and continually seek to convince us that faith isn't enough. and That we need to do something to save ourselves, to be right before God. Beloved, this mindset continually plagues us. Some of us here today feel estranged from God and believe that we must do something in order to earn God's favor. In order to be righteous in His sight, we must do something and act in a certain way. To that, Paul says that one thing and one thing only is necessary for your right standing before God to be righteous in His sight, and that is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who is Himself, our righteousness. We need to believe that. There are others of us here today who, like the Galatians, we have begun by the Spirit, but now we're seeking to perfect ourselves through the flesh. We've trusted in Christ to begin our new life, but now we're relying on our works to maintain a right standing or obtain a right standing before God. Brothers and sisters, Paul is telling us that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the only means by which we can obtain a right standing before God. Full stop. It is only by faith in Him. And it's only faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which makes our imperfect obedience, which we do out of gratitude to God, but even so, that imperfect obedience is washed in the blood of the Lamb and presented by our great High Priest on high. And it's for this reason that the Lord accepts our meager efforts. In ourselves and by our own efforts, we are only and ever under the curse of God's law. But in His grace, the Lord Jesus Christ redeems us from that curse, which brings us to our second and final point. We've just looked at the curse of the law. Now let's consider the cross of Christ. So far, Paul has talked about blessing and cursing. That those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the father of the faithful, and those who are of works of the law are under the curse with their father, Adam. Now he turns to consider how it is that one can move from being under the curse of the law to being under blessing. How can this happen, we who are under God's curse? 
Paul, in other words, considers how it is that we can be made just through faith. Having established that only cursing can come from the law, Paul now states in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Let that sink in for a moment. Christ became a curse for us. Notice how Paul utilized the first person plural personal pronoun as saying that Christ has redeemed us and become a curse for us. He has already described the Gentile Galatians as children of Abraham by faith. Now here he is inviting them and he's inviting us to identify ourselves with the historic people of God. We and us. Notice also that Paul is again quoting from the law. He quotes Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, saying, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. In this passage, the Lord is addressing the situation of criminals who are worthy of capital punishment. They were to be hanged on a pole or a tree to show that they were under God's curse. In quoting this, Paul is equating the death of Christ on the cross to the criminal who was capitally punished and hung on a tree in order to indicate God's covenant curse on him. In Israel, the cursed criminal was not to be kept on the tree overnight, for this was understood to defile the land. You may recall in the Gospel of John, the Jews asked Pilate to break Jesus' legs and hurry up the process so he doesn't stay on the cross overnight because they saw this as defiling the land, as if sacrificing, killing the eternal Son of God is not what would defile them. They were concerned about getting the job done. But you'll remember even that Jesus, when they came to break his legs, already gave up his life and said it was finished. But Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate and came and took the body of Jesus down before nightfall and buried him. In drawing on this Old Testament passage and custom and in tying it to the death and crucifixion of Christ, Paul's making a startling and profound point. Think about it. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, completely sinless, nevertheless died for the sins of humanity. In their place, Jesus effectively died for his people, taking on the curse which their sins deserved to the point that he became a curse for us. He did this for our sins. Friends, allow that to sink in. The author of life underwent death for you. The ever-blessed God became a curse for you. What depths of love or what height of praise can speak forth this mystery divine? How much should this truth cause us to come to an end of ourselves with all of our sin and misery and cause us to cling to Christ Jesus, our life who died for us and became a curse for us so that we might enjoy life and blessing in His presence. 
Paul draws out the implication of Christ Jesus' death in relation to God's economy of salvation and how he deals with Abraham and with all of humanity. Thus he states in verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Here is the reason that Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the author of life, the eternally blessed God, died and became a curse. So that in Him, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit. In these short verses, notice how Paul is tying together so many threads of biblical teaching and history. Here he's placing all of humanity, Jews and Gentiles, on a level playing field. In Adam, our first federal head, as it were, all of us are born into this world under God's curse. Yet the promise given to Eve and encapsulated in that promise to Abraham of a seed which would crush the head of the serpent and bring life, this is brought about through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this is manifested and evidenced in the reception of the promised Holy Spirit. Abraham received the promise of the seed through whom he and all the nations would be blessed. He also received the sign and seal of circumcision, which pointed to the circumcision of the heart and ultimately to the giving of the Holy Spirit who circumcised our heart and writes God's law on us. That's the promise of the the new covenant. The Holy Spirit will be poured out and circumcise the hearts of his people and indwell them according to the promise of the prophets. That's come about. And by the way, that's why we baptize our children, because it's the same promise. In other words, Jesus Christ and his person and work living a life which we could not live, and dying a death and becoming a curse which we most certainly all deserve, has brought about the fulfillment of all God's promises, which are always and ever yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all God's promises to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, to Sarah, to Israel and to all the nations, to you and me. Through faith in Him who became a curse for us, we can receive justification and life, blessing in God's presence. We receive the promised Holy Spirit. Therefore, to seek to reverse time, to set back redemptive history by placing ourselves again under the law in order to establish a righteousness of our own meager and weak works, That's to reject God's gift and to place oneself under God's curse. The pouring out of God's Holy Spirit who engrafts us into the Lord Jesus Christ who lived and died for us is the culmination of all God's covenantal promises to Israel and to humanity. In speaking to the Galatians, Paul is arguing strenuously for them to receive the gift of God, receive the good news of the gospel. And by receiving and resting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can have life and happiness. Through faith in Christ, who took on their curse, 
They have received the Holy Spirit, the seal and guarantee of all God's promises. You see why seeking to be circumcised and place oneself under the law is so insulting to God? They're rejecting His gift, which He gives in Christ. In the same way, though, Paul is speaking to all of us. In the Lord Jesus Christ, all that we need for life, godliness, and happiness has been provided. Will we reject God's gift and seek to establish a righteousness of our own? To this, Paul says, we're rejecting God's blessing and we're placing ourselves under his curse. In this sermon today, we began by considering the concepts and categories of cursing and blessing. In our original creation, the Lord blessed us and called us to be a blessing on the earth and to spread his blessing throughout all the earth. Yet because of our disobedience and sin, we fell from the Lord's blessing into his curse. In our text today, Paul has labored over these things. He has argued that everyone who relies on works of the law or anything that you might do, everyone who depends on these works, fall under that curse. But he has a gift. Any who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will provide for you his Holy Spirit and you will come under his blessing. Paul has spoken very frankly and very honestly in this passage today. And this passage demands that we equally speak to ourselves frankly and clearly. I know I don't have to argue on a prolonged to convince you of sin and misery. We do it and we feel it every moment of our lives. In this life, we have experienced death and disease. We've experienced things hoped for and hopes lost. To one degree or another, we all feel the effects of the curse. To those of us here who have never believed the gospel, who are not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, Scripture is clearly saying that you are still under God's curse. But the Lord Jesus Christ has become a curse for you. Believe in him and you will receive God's blessing. To the covenant children who are among us, Paul also has a message. Have you been born into the church? Have you always come to church and identified yourself as a Christian? These are wonderful things and I hope it's true of all of you here. But in this passage, Paul is giving a warning. Not everyone who descended from Abraham were children of Abraham. Likewise, not everyone who are children of Christian parents are true Christians. It's necessary for you, and I beg you, to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And trust in Him as your Lord. And call upon Him as your God. To those of us who have professed our faith, we have trusted in Christ and joined ourselves to his church. Paul asks us a simple question. Are we relying on works of the law or are we relying on the Lord Jesus Christ? Having begun by the Spirit, are we seeking to finish our life by the flesh? But if we do have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who became a curse for us, 
Be assured, beloved, we have received the blessing of the Holy Spirit, and the Lord is going to bring us out of this world of sin and misery when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. This is our hope, God's grace through his Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we feel the effects of the curse that we brought on through our sin. We see death, we see disease, we see terrible wars, rumors of wars. We feel the effects in our decaying bodies, that we are always in the process of dying. But Lord, how can we even speak to the wonders of your love That you, the ever-blessed God, against whom we sinned, you became man, and you took on the curse which we deserve. But moreover, you were raised from the dead. Now you stand on high and you pour out your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would do that work here today. Create new hearts. Make us to love you more and more. Help those who do not believe to believe. Help those who believe and have a weak faith to believe even stronger. Lord, faith is a gift from you, and you sustain it. We ask that you would do that in our hearts today, thanking you for your abundant mercy. It's in Christ Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.